Open your Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Darkness is now settled around our Lord Jesus. He has for several hours been speaking to his disciples in the upper room. There were 12 of them, but one of them left in John chapter 13, Judas Iscariot. And now our Lord Jesus, after having finished several hours in the upper room, having eaten a meal, and then having instituted the Lord's table, that is the bread and the wine, to remember his body and his blood. He then said, arise, let us go from here. And he began walking to the garden on about a 10 or 15 minute walk. And as he walked, he continued to teach his disciples. That's chapters 15 and 16. As he was entering the garden, he probably saw the vines and said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now he nears the end of his teaching time. And he is about to say to eight of the disciples, you stay here. Peter, James, and John, come with me a little way further. And then Peter, James, and John, you'll stay here. And I'll go another 50 meters. And there I will fall on my face and pray. Those things are about to happen. And in this morning's passage, we see the end this morning and next week, the end of his teaching Before he goes to pray by himself, and we'll see in a few weeks, November or December, we'll see when our Lord Jesus begins to pray, the Son speaking with the Father in John chapter 17. If you love the Lord Jesus, you will be exhilarated with joy and amazement in chapter 17. But this morning, we are discussing our Lord's teaching. As the power of darkness grows, that's his word in Luke 22, 53. He says to Judas as he comes back, this is your hour and the power of darkness. As the power of darkness grows, and of course our Lord Jesus could feel it and possibly even the disciples. He told them in our last section, verses 16 to 22, I'm leaving you. And they are filled with questions. Wait, what's happening? What do you mean? Where are you going? When will you come back? And so he tells them, look down in your Bibles in verse 23. In that day, you will question me about nothing. Does your Bible say you will ask me? In verse 23, if you have an ESV or King James, it will say, ask me. That Greek verb can be translated ask or question. In verse 19, it's translated as question. It's there again in verse 26. Question. You see, this is not asking. I sometimes wondered when I read verse 23, are you saying that the disciples weren't going to pray? No, no, no. He's saying, you disciples have been questioning me. Jesus, where are you going? Jesus, when are you coming back? And our Lord says to them, when I rise from the dead, your questions will be answered. In that day. The that day of verse 23 is three days later when he rises from the dead. So if you have a pen, you might want to mark it so you'll never forget in your Bible. Verse 23, just circle in that day and write, Resurrection, or Easter Sunday, or Sunday morning, or first day of the week. Does anyone need a pen?
In verse 23, in that day is the resurrection. And he says to them, you're going to stop your questions. You're wondering where I'm going, when I'm coming. You've got a lot of questions and I can understand because I'm not speaking plainly to you. That's what he says in verse 25. I'm speaking in broad figures, in pictures, in parables. There's a reason for that and we'll get to it in a moment. But with all of that as the background, with all of their many questions, he tells them up front, before your faith turns to sight, I want you to understand something about prayer. Jesus began his ministry three and a half years earlier teaching about prayer. What was the first sermon that Jesus preached? Who knows? The first sermon that Jesus preached. Silani? What book? The book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we have three chapters. If you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that all the words are red because it's all Jesus. He's giving his laws. But what's amazing, I just told you that's Matthew chapter 5. If you'll go back to Matthew chapter 4, at the very end it says, Jesus went everywhere preaching the kingdom of God in every city and town. The very next chapter shows us the sermon that he preached. Shortly after that, he sends out his disciples. They were preaching the same message. He says, here's the message of my kingdom. Go and preach this message. And how does that message go? In Matthew chapter 6, he teaches them about prayer. (coughs) He says, don't pray like the heathen. They babble and babble, speaking words over and over. They'll bounce when they pray. And they'll have a special prayer voice. They think that they'll be heard that way. That's an insult to God, as if he can't hear you. And then in Matthew chapter 7, he has to logically argue them into praying. You know this. Ask and it shall be. Seek and you will. Knock and it will be. That's Jesus using logic in his first ever sermon to try to plead with these people just to pray. He did it from the first day. Throughout his ministry, he taught about prayer in Luke chapter 11. Somewhere in the, well, not the middle, but in the, in the midst of his ministry in Luke chapter 11. He teaches them to pray. Again, in Luke chapter 18, he teaches them to pray. Throughout the Bible, he's teaching them to, uh, throughout the Gospels, he's teaching them to pray. Just before he dies. He's going to teach them four times. In John chapter 14, we saw this a few months ago, went back in April or so. John 14, verses 13 and 14. Greater works than these you will do because I go to my Father. Ask in my name and I will do it. Do you remember that? John 14, verses 12 through 14. While he was in the upper room, he taught them to pray. Remember, in John chapter 14, he stands up and he leaves the upper room. Now he's walking through the garden. As he goes through the garden, in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the? What does he say in verse 8? If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's John 15 verse 8. While he's talking about the, the vine and the branches, he's talking about bearing fruit. Herein is my Father glorified that you will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's the very next verse. So he says, pray. That's while he's walking. Then they get to the garden. He's about to break up in the prayer groups. Before he does, he comes back to it. John 15, verse 16. And here's the fourth time in John 16, verses 23 to 27. So this morning, with that as an introduction, I would like to give you 
three motives and two methods for prayer. Or motives and methods for effective prayer. There are three motives in this passage. Verse 23 and 24 has three motives. So maybe your problem is this. You're not praying consistently. Maybe your problem is this. You've given up praying. Or maybe your problem is this. You pray one day and then you go four days without praying. If that's your problem, then these three motives of the Lord Jesus will minister to you this morning. And before you go out, when I say, let's close in prayer, I would encourage you to waste no time, but in your heart, go right to Jesus Christ and say, forgive me and help me today by the power of your spirit to take these motives, to apply them to my life and to go live according to these words. Remember James chapter one? Don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. If any man's a hearer only, he's like a man who looks in the mirror and says, wow, the hair's a mess. Got some mark over here. I really need to shave. All right, let's go. Don't do that. When the word shows you, I haven't been consistent, but here are some good reasons to pray. Let those motives help you. But some of you may say, I'm really trying to pray. But my problem is this. I honestly don't know how. He's going to give us two methods. This morning's message is motives and methods for effective prayer. I will warn you up front that the motives may take all of our time and we may have to come back to the methods this evening at six o'clock. But Lord helping me, we'll deal with both of those. And if we could summarize the whole passage in one sentence, it would be this. Our Lord draws us with the most exciting Motives. I mean that. Exciting. So that we would ask in the best way. Our Lord is just going to reach down and, and put all these treasures and reasons to pray right in front of us so that you will go and ask. Your problem is you don't have because you've not been asking. James 4 verse 2. That's your problem, isn't it? But I want to inspire you today to go and ask. I want to take you right into the restaurant and tell you today is a free day and all the tables are lined with the most delicious food. You've got this table with the Indian food. That's my favorite cuisine maybe. And there that table is loaded and it's all there and there's clean plates. Pick it up and go. Aren't you hungry? And here's a table with every kind of breiflace. It's right there and the pokikos at the end. Just pick it up and go. And right here is the... Everything you could want, just pick up your plate and go. I want to load those motives in front of you so that you will go home and say, by God's help, I am going to pray this week. And before I come back next Sunday, I'm going to see an answer to prayer. Our first motive is in verse 23. Look in verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me for nothing question me about nothing. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you will ask what? Anything. No, that can't be true. That can't be right. Ask for anything? My Bucky is broke again. <laughs> ask for anything? This is the remarkable testimony of Jesus' teaching throughout his time on earth. 
Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For whoever asks receives. This this is what he says. I'm just quoting the passage in Matthew 7. For whoever asks receives. Whoever seeks find. Whoever knocks to him it will be opened. Will a father hear his son say, Father, please, can I have some eggs? Can I have some more? No, nothing for you. Will a father do that? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your son, will your heavenly father not give good gifts to those who ask? That's Matthew 7 verse 11. By the way, notice what he says. If you then being evil, he assumes that we are all what kind of people? Evil Evil people. Jesus just assumes these things all along and just goes on. He waits for you to just puts the truth out there. Be very offensive. You people are all evil, but even you give good things to your children. So what do you think the father will do? Or in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, all things that you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Can that possibly be true? Listen to this. That's not only Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus. We read the the book last month over and over, right? James chapter 5, verse 14, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. 1 John 5.14, this is the disciple of Jesus who was with Jesus when these words were said. John, the beloved disciple, says this in 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence which we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have the petitions that we have asked from him. Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Isaiah 65.24, speaking about the millennium when Jesus Christ returns in power and glory onto this earth and eradicates all the wicked politicians and sets up himself as the supreme, benevolent, just dictator of the world and peace and prosperity reigns. And God will be glorified in that time. Isaiah 65 verse 24. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. But you have prayed before and not received the answer, haven't you? Raise your hand if you've ever asked for something. And then later you thought, I didn't get that. Have you ever felt that way that I asked for this thing, but I didn't get it? What's wrong? It says everything, and I asked for a thing. A thing should be inside everything. There are three hindrances to unanswered prayer. Or three hindrances to answered prayer. Three reasons that our prayers are not commonly answered. If you have a pen, mark these down. You can even record these in your Bible, perhaps. Each one of these has a Bible verse. James 4, verse 3. You do not have... Because you ask selfishly to consume it for your own lusts. James 4 verse 3. The first hindrance to answered prayer. Hey boys, listen nicely. Boys, listen nicely. The first hindrance to answered prayer is this. You ask like a consumer. James 4 verse 3. Oh wait, just a minute. Every time we speak, we are assuming things. Right? When I say, how are you, I assume that you understand the word, how are you. When I say, uhandit, I assume that you are alive. I assume that you can hear me. I assume that you can grasp the meaning of those words. When I say, mamukase, I am assuming that you are a Shona-speaking person. Aishan? We make assumptions all the time when we speak. And when our Lord Jesus says, Anything you ask for, there were assumptions buried in that. Of course he doesn't mean if you want to be a consumer, 
gimme, gimme, my name's Jimmy. I want anything. I want to consume it on my lust. Oh, you can be sure he's not talking about that. You can be sure the false prophet who came in 2008 in April to Elam Village and preached in the Waterfall Stadium when I lived there and I left my wife and kids and went, wife and kid at that time, and went there to that place and listened to that false teacher speak. And he said, all of you who want a new Toyota Fortuner, put up your hands. And of course, everyone shouted. By the way, he's, he was a Chang'an man but he was preaching in English just to show off how clever he was. And then he has a translator who would translate for him. It's a Chang'an people. I was the only English-speaking person there. But he has to show off how clever he is, right? Whoever wants a fortuner, raise your hand. And the people all raise their hands. And then he says, whoever wants a fortuner, dance, dance. So they jump up and they're dancing. Whoever wants a fortuner, shout out, I claim, I claim. And then he starts giving these things. Whatever you call out, whatever you call will be yours that breaks the most foundational presupposition of our Lord Jesus. He never says that you can speak health and wealth into existence. Remember, he's 12 hours from having cold steel go into his wrists. He's three hours away from one of his best friends just being filled with Satan. No, when he says ask anything, he's assuming you're not asking like a consumer. James 4 verse 3. He has a second assumption when he says, ask for anything. Number two, he's assuming that you are not harboring sin in your heart. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I hold sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Are there some mothers here who have been praying for your children and you've thought to yourself, why doesn't he answer? I'm praying for this child. Mother, is there sin in your heart? I don't know, and I would not put any extra burden or extra guilt on anyone. But Psalm 66 is in the Bible. Psalm 66, 18. If I hold iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Or Isaiah 59, verse 2. Your sins have separated you from your God, and your iniquities have turned away his face so that he cannot hear you. Is there a father here praying for your children? And you say, why doesn't he answer? You can be sure that prayers that don't begin with confession, they might have difficulty being answered. He says he'll give everything. But have you been saying, oh God, even now forgive me. When Lloyd opened in prayer, he opened our service saying, even this week we have sinned. You see, if you want a happy church, go somewhere else. We're not chipper in this church. We're dead serious because the Bible and life is dead serious. We're in a world with funerals and car accidents. And we want to help equip you for that. So what must we do? We must learn how to pray. And the first lesson to learn how to pray is if you pray like a consumer, don't expect anything. He doesn't even, he doesn't even reveal any more of his, of his will to you because it's so obvious. You shout out for a Toyota fortune just to consume it on your lusts. Don't expect any answer to that prayer. You go and say, oh yeah, oh Father, save my son, while you yourself haven't been reading the Bible with him. You're living in ongoing sin for not raising your child in the fear of the Lord. And then you say, oh God, help my child. Confess that sin. Repent and turn. Third hindrance to prayer. Number three. You did not wait on the Lord in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Or Luke 11, 
Verse 18. Our Lord Jesus told them, pray persistently. Sorry, Luke 11, verse 8. Pray persistently. You remember the story? The man comes at night, says, hey, hey, friend, I need some bread. What? Man, do you know what time it is? It's the middle of the night. Man, I'm sorry, you gotta, you gotta open up. My friend came in the middle of the night. Friend, man, your friend will still be there in the morning then. Come back when the sun's up. I can't do that, man. He's been walking. He's walked 20Ks. I have nothing. I didn't know he was coming. He didn't text or anything. Please, can't you just give me some bread? Isn't there a, isn't there BP pick and pay or something? Man, just, oh, please, I need something. And Luke 11, verse 8, because of his persistence, the friend opens that door, gives him what he needs. Will your father not do the same thing? Some of us haven't seen the answer because we have not gone on in our prayers. But this promise to give all things is a promise of spiritual blessings. So now, now you're thinking, wait a minute, what you're saying, when Jesus says, I'll give you anything you ask for, now you're thinking, oh, one or two churchy things, and that's it. No, no, you need to read the Bible clearly. There is so many benefits offered in the Bible, and I've made a list of 50 of them. Can I have two boys help me pass these out? Go, go, go. I've made a list of 50 of these benefits, 50 of these biblical prayers. There's 49, but number three, number two is supposed to be uh, number two has two requests in it. There's 50 of these requests. The first ones are from our Lord Jesus. And then they come from the Apostle Paul. And then from David in the Psalms. Maybe there's more. So let me just have you look at these right here. Look at some of these requests. I almost preached the whole sermon just from this list. Look at some of these requests. The first one, may God's name be honored. The second one, your kingdom come. The gospel will be preached in all the world. That's what I prayed for this morning in the pulpit prayer. Do you want to know why we're not seeing more missionaries sent out? Are we praying for it? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why don't we pray for that in our government? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why are you still bound in bitterness? Some of you have been bound in bitterness for years because you haven't even prayed for it. You can go through all of these. Look at number eight. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Some of us are going to fall away before next year. Have you even prayed, God, help my faith not to fail? I can promise you, you'll get that. I look at you today having become a believer somewhere around 1989. And I can tell you the reason I haven't fallen away, God has answered my prayers. Some of you have prayed for me. I've told this story before, but when I went to college, I was 17. And the pastor's wife of the little church that I grew up in, the church is about this size. And the pastor's wife said, since 1989, when you confessed that you were a Christian, I have prayed for you 
I think she said every day, I can't remember if it was every day, or she said, I've prayed for you consistently. Do you want to know why I still love Jesus? Because God gave that woman whatever she asked. She prayed that I would not fall away and God heard her. Why do we see our children falling away from the faith? Are we praying these requests? Are we asking these things? A few years ago, I took this chart and I began praying one prayer request every week for the whole year. What a blessing this was to me in my personal worship. And I can tell you, I have seen these prayers answered in my wife, in my children. Some people say, oh, well, your, your kids, well, they're pastor's kids. No, they're sinners. But God has answered our prayers. Hasn't he answered your prayers? Have you ever seen him giving you these things? And there's so much more. Look down at the prayers of Paul. Uh, look at, for example, uh, 14. Look at number 14. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you what? A spirit of wisdom. I have been praying that Lloyd would get that. How many times have I prayed, Ephesians 1.17 for Lloyd? I'm seeing it answered. He's going to preach in November when we're gone on leave. You pray for him according to Ephesians 1.17, and then you come with 100% confidence that God's spirit is going to hear and answer his prayers. Come expecting God is going to reveal something of Christ. He's going to teach me from the word. I'm not going to miss this because that's going to be an answer to our prayers. And there's so many more. Just glance down at these. Look at uh, number 21. And this I pray that your love would abound more and more in what? Real knowledge and all discernment. Some of us have made the worst decisions in our lives. We don't want to admit it. But we made really bad decisions about money. Some of us may be bound in debt right now because 10 years ago we made that decision and we don't want to talk about it because it's stressful even to think about it. We should be praying Philippians 1.9, God grant that I would grow in knowledge and real discernment. God will answer that prayer. He'll hear that prayer and he'll answer it. Over and over, these prayers are answered. I've seen them in my life. I've seen them in the lives of Christians. I've seen these in Alpheus Nyalungu. Do you guys know Alpheus? Comes here every Sunday night. He's preaching in Elam. Over and over, I have seen God answer these prayers in his life. Oh, when Jesus says, ask anything, he means anything in his will. And here's 50 examples of things in his will. What would our church look like if we were praying this way? What would the town look like if we were praying this way? Dads, one, two, three, four. Future dads, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven future dads here. What will your families look like if you pray? He promises to give them. Hey, when you go to pray, Lord, please heal my friend from COVID. You don't know what the Lord's will is. Pray, pray. I pray for people to be healed. There's a man sick in the village. I just met with him Friday. He's coming. His son is coming to the church in Valdezia. He's going to be baptized, Lord willing, next week. His father is sick. I prayed for him Friday, but I don't know if it is God's will to heal that man. I hope it is, but I don't know. 
But when it comes to these, you know, these are the freebies. Take these ones, you know you'll get them. And these are the most valuable. Can you imagine what a town would look like if people were praying this way? You wouldn't need security companies. It would be lockless. Why would you need locks if people prayed this way? This kind of thing has happened in church history. When Richard Baxter, the Presbyterian minister in England, went to the town of Kidderminster as a single man, he began preaching, and after 20 years of ministry, he was able to say, when I first came to this town, there was alcohol, crime, and drunkenness, and hardly a place could you find where a father would read and pray with his children at night. After 20 years of evangelism and preaching there, he said, it's amazing. Crime has gone down. The economy has gone up. And almost every home, you can hear as the, as the sun sets, you can hear them singing and praying. That's what he said. If you walk down the streets of Kidderminster after 20 years, you could hardly find a house where people were not praying, leading, leading family worship at night as the sun goes down. What happened? Men and women began praying these prayers. You say, well, Jesus says he'll give anything, but it really doesn't mean anything because I lost my job and I prayed. Don't let me lose my job. And then I lost it. If we pray prayers to consume on our lusts, if we pray prayers that we don't persevere, if we pray prayers while we're still loving the world, while we're still clinging to every kind of sin, we haven't placed our faith in Christ. We don't care if our children die and go to hell. Our priorities are not for God's kingdom to be honored. We haven't turned from our laziness and from our gossip. We send out, we interrupt our prayers to answer the the ding on our phone and send out two messages. Our love for Christ is so low. We haven't confessed those things. We haven't prayed biblical requests. And then we say, well, I never see that anyway, so I'll just quit praying. I want to give you the first motive to prayer. It's this. He loves to answer. He's quick to answer. He'll give you anything provided it's those things that he has promised to give to his people. These biblical prayer requests should be to you like a free offer of a meal, like a new cell phone in the box wrapped up. Like the free, a free car. Here's, here's the keys to a new car. That's the way in which we should look at this. If I offered a new Toyota Hilux today, how many people? If I said through this town, free Toyota Hilux being given out, 17 October, 8.30 a.m., how many people would fill this church? And the Lord Jesus says, I ask you anything. Or I tell you, you can ask for anything. 20 people. Most of the people are still in bed. Why? Our lives are not controlled by these motives. He's giving us a motive to ask. And mothers, I want to give you a motive to ask. Go pray for your children. Pray for them while they're young. Moms, maybe this will save you. Maybe you'll say, I need to pray this for my child. And while praying for your baby, he'll answer the request in you. 
Isn't that what happened in Matthew chapter 9? Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. You disciples, you 12, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers. They begin to pray the very next verse, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus calls his disciples together and sends them out. Did you ever notice that? You begin to pray that God would do great things and he begins to change you in an answer to your prayers. The first motive is this. You will get anything you ask for. What's the second motive? It's really remarkable. Look in verse 23. I never saw this before meditating on this passage this week. Not only does he say, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, who will give it to you? Who's the he in verse 23? The Father. Wait a minute. Turn your Bibles back to chapter 14, verse 13. Chapter 14, verse 13, it's the same night. 14, verse 13. Who answers the prayers in verse 13? Chapter 14, verse 13, who's answering the prayers? It's the Son. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. Romans 8, 26. The Spirit also prays with us with groans that cannot be translated into a human language. You mean when you go to pray these biblical requests, when you go to pray the things God has promised to give, the Spirit of God prays with you and takes those requests and the Son of God helps you pray and then actually gives you and the Father himself steps off his throne and descends from eternal heaven down to your poor house and he opens up the door and he walks right in and he, the creator of the universe, the planner and upholder of all things, the one who said, I will make a new covenant, Not like the old covenant that I made where they were not faithful, but I'll make a new covenant and write my laws in their heart and I will be their God and they will be my people. He makes a new covenant and then comes down from heaven to give to you, little you, poor you. No one knows you. Uh, 50 people on Facebook, a couple people in this town. If you died, they'd forget you in 10 years. They'll forget me in 10 years, five years, a year. They'll forget us. But the God of the universe does not forget those people who call out to him in his son's name. (laughs) Marvel upon marvel. This is the greatest motive to pray because when you pray, the father himself will come down to give you. It's like Luke 12 verse 37. It says, when Jesus comes back at the end, he's going to come back on a white horse. And what will come out of his mouth? What will come behind him? The armies in heaven, clothed in white raiment, will follow him. He will come down and slay the nations. He will set himself up as king of kings and lord of lords. That's Revelation chapter 19. But Luke 12 verse 37 says, when he comes back the second time, he will call us to a banquet and bring the food out himself and serve us. King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that I have betrayed and sinned against, the one whom I've served so faithlessly and I've been so prayerless, he, that very one, will come down to me and he'll bring the food out and when I'm done, he'll take the plate away and I'll say, oh my dear Lord, let me serve you. Not yet. 
you had your chance to serve me. And now I serve you again? It's the Son of God and the Father of the Son who answer their requests that you make in his name? This is a Trinitarian conspiracy to make you happy. It's a gathering together of Father, Son, and Spirit to fulfill your requests. This is better than any foolish, backward, lazy prosperity preacher could ever talk to you about. One of the worst ones is Fred Price in America. And he says, you can command God what to do. And if you command him to do something and he doesn't say it, you can rebuke him and say, come back here and do what I want. What wickedness, what backward, foolish wickedness. But this is the true truth of it. That if you come humbly and you say, everything about me is defiled. If you go down and put your face in the dirt, you'll find a loving father picking you up, cleaning you off before you even knew it. If you say, but everything in me is twisted and backward. I can't even lift up my face. Suddenly you're looking into his eyes as he puts more jewels and diamonds into your hands. No, the only way you get those jewels and diamonds is if you pray in this way. He's giving us motives. He'll give you anything you pray for. He'll make your life solid. Psalm 1 verse 2, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings its fruit in its season, its leaf will not wither, and whatever it does will prosper. But the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind blows away. If you want to be like that tree that always flowers, that always blossoms, whose roots are down deep, who cannot be shaken with debt and foolishness and anger and politics, you've got to learn to pray like this. The you is the Christian and the he is the father. Friends, true fatherhood is marked by generosity. This father is one who loves to give. Men must be strong. Men must discipline their families. Fathers must say no with a deep voice to their children. Kids should be afraid when their father says, what did you do? The Bible teaches spanking, and biblical fathers will practice that. But that's only one side. Biblical fathers pour out joy and happiness. And I think I can say this. They pour out more joy and happiness than they ever say no. I hope my kids would say that. Go ahead, ask them. I won't be bothered. I'd like to hear what they say. My goal as a dad is to lead them and raise them. And I have to say no. And we do have a paddle at our home and we use it. But I hope every one of my kids would say, oh, I don't remember that because it's always laughter and joy. Dad's always given us. That's what a father is. And that's what the father, the heavenly father is like. He's full of generosity He is a provider and the best of providers. Just when you think, oh, I have a need, he's there with supplying it. And when you don't even realize you have a need, he's there. And when you don't have a need, he's there to give you some comfort or blessing. The father is a generous father who pours out happiness. And so, in Hebrews 4.16, which we memorized a few weeks ago, let us come how to the throne of grace? Boldly, with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may find mercy to help in time of need. Could there possibly be a stronger motive to pray that God himself 
will come down and give you what you ask for. He doesn't send an angel. He doesn't send another person. He himself comes down to give you. Do you have no time to pick up treasure? That's like you say, I was in a rush, so I passed the 200 rand bill laying on the ground. This is even worse. You were in a rush, so you passed a trail of money. You have no time to pick up treasure. You have no interest in obeying the son and in praying. You have no eagerness to receive the next gift from a generous father. Brothers and sisters, do we not need to confess? Most of us need to confess this sin right here. Lord God, forgive me because I have not thought of you as generous, eager to come down and just give me so much happiness. And fathers, don't we need to confess? Forgive me for not pouring out kindness and happiness. I give it from time to time, but our lives should be marked by happiness and generosity. Our kids, when we call them, should love to run to us because he's always giving something, his time, himself, his ear. And by the way, that's probably the hardest thing, just to listen to them because they have a lot to say. The time, the love, the interest, and of course, physical gifts. But look at the third motive in verse 24. Oh, wow, our time is almost done. Look at the third motive in verse 24. What is it? Can, can someone tell me from chapter 16, verse 24? Joy. Does your Bible say full? It can be full or complete. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Like a cup. He's pouring the water in. He says that law was the cup. I am the water being poured into it. He says here, I came to tell you to pray. And when you pray, you'll know you're praying right because suddenly you'll be filled with joy. Joy. Joy is a big theme here. Go back and notice all the times it's found. Look back at verse 22. You'll see the word rejoice. Look at verse 22. You'll see the word rejoice and you'll see the word joy. Do you see that in verse 22? Look in verse 21. Do you see the word joy? Look at verse 20. Joy, the last word of verse 20. Verse 20, verse 21, verse 22, verse 24. But do you remember what our Lord just told us? You're going to be weeping where? Where will you be weeping? Here on this earth. It's going to be hard. He's already promised us in chapter 15, the world will hate you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to mock you. Expect this. Coney, if you want to follow Jesus, they're going to hate you. They're going to mock you. It will be uncomfortable and difficult. We don't want to lie. We want to put the price right up front. I hate it when I go to buy something and then later I find, well, there's this fee and this fee and this fee. Our Lord doesn't do that. He puts the price right up front. Here's the price. You want to follow Jesus in a true Christian church? We expect you to love the Lord with all your heart. We expect you to humbly admit and quickly repent when you sin. We expect you to persevere when people hate you and mock you. It's going to happen. John 15. John 16. They're going to kick you out of the social status points. John 16, verse 3. They're going to kill you. And when they do it, they're going to say, see how religious we are? 
He does not take that away. Jesus does not say, oh, I'll stop that. No, in the midst of the killing, in the midst of the social ostracism, in the midst of the fact that your mother or your friend or your brother don't even return your calls anymore, in the midst of the pain and the persecution and the hatred and the mockery, in the midst of that, he's going to do what in verse 24? Fill up your joy. If you haven't heard it, go back to the website and search fruit of the spirit joy. In that message, we covered the fruit of the spirit last year. In the fruit of the spirit teaching, this joy is this overwhelming longing for Christ and God. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit to make you long after him. The best illustration is is a young man who wants to be married, but he's for a year living away from his fiance. How does he feel? He longs for her. How does she feel toward him? She might even cry. Would you say that he's happy being separated from her? But would you say that if you came to him and you said, hey, you know, you feel you have this, this longing for her. Why don't you just drop the girl and then you won't have that unsettledness anymore. Drop the girl? No, I couldn't. But are you happy? No, I'm not happy. I'm not with her. True biblical joy is that longing. I long for the Lord Jesus. And if I have a car accident, if a child dies, if pain and problems come, if church members get angry, if there's a church discipline situation, I am still longing for who? The Lord Jesus. And so that even during the midst of the pain and persecution, I'm actually filled with what? Joy, because it's a longing after Christ. And it's going to be the same thing when he returns. I still long for him, but now he's here. I longed for Amy before I was married. Now that I'm married, I still long for her. It's the same affection from either side. This is what our Lord promises. He promises to fill you up with a longing for himself, for heaven. He does not promise to take away the pain. In fact, he might increase the pain. Because the more pain we feel, the more longing we feel to go to heaven. But this promise of joy is a promise. It's a promise to increase the longing for God. Let me give you four ways in closing. Four ways that answered prayer brings us joy. Because now, when our prayers are answered, we can know that we are saved. One of the great ways to know that you are a Christian is to see God answering prayers. Number two, because when, when you ask and are answered, your heart bears witness with God that you are the children of God. Romans eight sixteen. Number three, because when God answers your prayer, you have great joy Because now you have irrefutable evidence to share with unbelievers. You can share those things with unbelievers with confidence. No unbeliever can deny, look, my son's converted and loves the Lord Jesus. God answered my prayer. Number four, how does answered prayer bring joy? Because it brings a heritage to tell to your children. When you have answered prayer, you have things to tell your kids. Hey kids, I want you to know, mom and I used to have all this tension But we began praying and God came here. Kids, I want you to know, mom and I should have had this tension. You see all these families, they're a mess. Mom and I should have, but from the day we were married, I was praying and God answered our prayers. 
You have a heritage to tell to your children. This morning, we've dealt with the motives to pray. I've given you three of them. He promises to give everything we ask for. He promises to do it himself. He promises to give you joy in the midst of pain or sorrow or hardness. Don't we need to commit ourselves to prayer? Lord willing, tonight or next week, I'll deal with the methods for prayer. Let's close our eyes. Oh, Father, Son, and Spirit, come together and unite with this little group of believers and give us what we ask for. We ask for spiritual eyes. We ask for new hearts. We ask for humility. We ask for every grace. We ask for all the fruits of the Spirit. We ask for our children to be converted. We are asking for a great list right now. So come to us and do not leave us and do not let our faith fail. Grant that we might be true and solid Christians, that we would be the tree on the rivers of water. We pray for these spiritual blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Because our time has expired, let's just slip out to the next service.